You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Welcome back to the show. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and today we are talking to Mawan Rizwan. Now, you might know Mawan from his, his stand-up, which led to his hit BBC show Juice that's still available on iPlayer, and it's brilliant. You might know him from his viral hits. He was doing, I mean, as we will talk about on this episode, he was doing YouTube videos and making YouTube video series when he was like a teenager 14 years ago. Uh, you will almost certainly know him from his unforgettable appearance on Taskmaster, and uh, it's been a joy. It's 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 been a long term goal to get him on the show. We've been talking about it for ages. I know that he's listened to the show before, and um, I was so pleased that we actually managed to meet in person. We videoed it. You can get the full video episode of this one on uh, by joining the Insiders Club. Um, and in the first half of this episode, we're going to discuss Mawan's childhood, where failure was not an option. Uh, we're going to discuss him directing grime videos with Big Nasty, and we're going to discuss what it means to grow up in a world in an, in, in a landscape of content creation, uh, not just of, of comedy. Now, the big news is that you can join the new and improved Insiders Club via Patreon at comedianscomedian.com insiders. I will tell you more about this uh, in the middle of the show and after the show, but you can watch this full episode and get access to over 20 minutes of bonus features, uh, including we're going to talk to Mawan about getting to the final two of an audition process for a life-changing role and harnessing pirate energy in an industry full of university-educated people. Uh, I'm going to tell you more about the, the, new, the all-new Insiders Club uh, in a bit, but for now, here is Mawan Rizwan. Now, something I remember you said in uh, when you were on the Graham Norton show, you talked about your mum and how she'd said to you, like, be make mistakes. I can't remember exactly what you said. It was a beautiful thing. The nature of it, I think, was like, whatever you do, don't be boring. Yeah, like, be terrible, don't be boring. So... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your relationship with your mum. Let's talk about where that that kind of started. Because the last yeah. thing I was doing last night, I've been watching loads of Juice. I've been watching loads of your clips and listening to your songs on Spotify, which are kind of like, it's really funny listening to like the Spotify version of a song and visualising you as you walk around the street. <laughs> but um, but uh, one of the things I looked at last night was like your early YouTube stuff. Yeah. I had no idea how, A, how young you were, I'm not saying you look old, but you're so in, in no, control. I'm getting on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting on. I had no idea. You were a YouTuber like when you were 14. 
And there's, yeah. there's you and your brother. Like the very first video you put up is you and your brother freestyle rapping. Yeah. And it's it's good, man. What? <laughs> what? It's not good freestyle rapping. But I could look at you and go, well, that's a star. Do you uh, know what I mean? That kid is, is so... Oh, come on. That, that kid, the you, I don't know if you're like 14 or something at the time. Mm. You are so 15. kind of handsome and lively oh, and sparkly and confident. Like, I, I'm sure a lot of 14, oh, 15 year olds made a load of... I'm sure loads of people made a load of YouTube videos and they're dog shit. But you're just like, I'm absolutely ready for my own thing. Oh, wow. I see it as like a kid who was so desperate for attention and got in... To performing for all the wrong reasons you know like over the years i've learned that like you, you you need to do it for the right reasons but starting out was very much like it, it got me a clap and i just so i wanted to do more of it and you know every now and again in drama the teacher would be like oh yeah you're good you're good or you that's good when you do that and i'm okay. like oh oh i'm not i'm not shit i'm not like oh maybe i'm accepted in this world right so that's why that's why I got a camera because and also because my brother was really funny and I just found him really funny and he was really goofy and clowny and I wanted to record him but he became too cool for school so I had to start being in him. Got it. Lots to unpack there. I think one of the things about it is how kind you are to your brother. Like, he's your little brother, is that right? Or is he big brother? Uh, little brother, little five brother. years younger. Oh, really? That's. No. I don't think I'm kind of talking. I'm trying to get more camera time. Yes, but <laughs> given that it's a project that you're that a kid is doing with his little brother, you're quite like you're doing quite good. Kind of, you're letting him take. Do you, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, definitely your thing. Yeah, but yeah. But you're not yeah. just. He's not just the sidekick. You're giving him. <laughs> I was like, this is some really great instincts there, one. Do you know what I mean? Like you're being kind to him, and you're you're sort of like you're you're egging him on, and then like you cut him off, but in a in a warm kind of a way. <laughs> Wow, man, you really, you really read into this. You've done some like secret life of five year olds kind of ob <laughs> obdoc on this. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I think there's a lot going on in those videos. There's also a lot of pain in those videos. I actually can't watch them back because I leave them up so people know that it's been a long journey, right? Because you know, you're not, you're not born a superstar like I am now. It takes a lot of work. Like that's like what fourteen years of like figuring shit out and making really bad things often you know so yeah i i definitely see it as like yeah no i don't know i forgot what i was saying it's what it's one of those things i think where i when i watched those i felt like oh this is the roadmap. i remember doing i remember doing like um a talk to students in my old drama college years and years ago and i think i was really hard on them i think I, my, my whole talk was like there's no money out there and there's no mm. work learn to be plumbers as well and then you'll be happy do you know what I mean it was mm. like it was and afterwards i think the the bloke who booked me was my old drama teacher he was like you were pretty tough on them i was like oh I, I, maybe this is coming from not a great place in my life at the time yeah but one of the things i remember saying to them was like look if you're serious about they were actors i said if you're serious about being an actor youtube is out there video yourself acting like there's no need to there's almost no need to be here just make stuff learn learn how the stuff is so i think a lot of people who want to be actors or who want to be famous are in love with the idea of it i certainly was i, I loved the idea of being an actor i didn't want to actually turn up and be an actor i just was like starry-eyed you know yeah, yeah exactly and and so i think what i was sort of saying to them to do was kind of pretty much what you did which is I would recommend to any young person now, any teenager who's like, oh, I want to be famous, I want to do stuff. I'd really recommend going back and watching some of those early videos of yours because you go, okay, this is a person figuring it out, working out what works for them. The, you know, the production values gradually increase. Mm -hmm. Even when it comes to, and I don't know how many years later this was, but the Moan show, which was a completely, I mean, what do I know about commissioning? But 
you know, there's like little six minute sections that had production values, really funny ideas. That thing where you're, you've got your mate against the green screen background and you're trying to get him to go, no, do something weird for the show. And he just can't think of anything weird. It's a completely solid premise with a completely solid sketch, production values, editing the lot. Mm -hmm. So to watch your kind of creative development, I think, through those is fascinating. It's one of those things that would make me that would make me say, oh, are you in, like to a younger person? Go back and look at this, because this is someone who. I, this is just turned into a long rant about how great you are. <laughs> Which is not, I love it. There's, there's not really a question in here. Um, <laughs> but I, I just wonder when you said you you got into it for the wrong reasons. Mm. It doesn't look. You don't see a kid who's got into it for the wrong reasons. Maybe there's a bit of bright-eyed enthusiasm about getting clapped clapped at. You know. Maybe I have a cynical take on it because it's like I I think a lot of I think a lot of those videos and early days uh, creativity was. A coping mechanism, escapism from like quite intense life shit. Also, you know, a family there's a lot going on financially, and like it was, it was difficult. And I used to film my parents, and it was a way of being like, oh, they're funny. That was the only time I really actually liked my parents, especially my mom. She was so hard on us. And when she did the videos, there was this weird contradiction in her where she was like, on one side, she was so like you know you need to be you need you need to be the best if you're ever gonna do anything you need to be the best otherwise all my sacrifices have gone to waste um and she was like education education otherwise i've come to this country for nothing and then she we did the music videos and um, the videos and she was just really funny and entertaining and i was like well if if my parents are funny then maybe everything's gonna be all right so there's a lot of like icky pain uh, coping mechanism stuff going on as well as a kid who maybe just wanted to be famous as well as a kid who's going oh no this is editing is a skill oh performing is a skill oh knowing to keep yourself in focus and hit your mark and oh there's 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 a thing called a film set and actually it's like a military operation and actually i need to get work on a film set to understand how different roles work and maybe which sector of the film industry i could work in Yes. So it's a very that's like a very slow process, and it's all the stuff at the same time. Your there's a line in Juice where your mum it's in the third episode I think when you're almost having like a roast battle in the restaurant, mm. and there's a line where um, you you say to your mum, "Listen, you've always you know you you haven't achieved all this stuff you say you've achieved," and she she says, "I was the first girl in my village to ride a bicycle." <laughs> I was crying laughing at that because I think that really encapsulates part of her character now obviously that's not your it is played by your real mum but she's saying the words that you've written for her mm -hmm. that is an incredibly dense relationship that you've described there of like she drove me really really hard she wanted to be a star was she like a child actor mm -hmm. initially mm -hmm. she wanted to be a star she made like presumably she felt she gave up performing in order to come here was that part of the dynamic of it yeah and and other stuff as well uh and, and personal stuff and you okay. know that whole thing of that martyrdom that parents do um, especially parents who migrate of like mm. uh i gave up my dreams so that you could have some yeah um so you could have a better life and you've ended that up little nutshell. in this extraordinarily unusual situation of having launched your mum and your brother and now perhaps <laughs> your dad to some extent into uh, into some kind of, you know, in entertainment career. Like, I don't know, did you launch your brother into it? Or was he, like, I mean, no, he got famous, was that? I would like to say, yes, I did. And I would take full credit, uh, but he probably didn't. It will, probably wasn't, he, um, he was figuring stuff out and he basically did what I did in terms of like, did loads of free courses, tried to figure stuff out. He was like doing spoken word and 
you know, rapping and he was always creating anyway. I think the YouTube videos were made it like a thing that we did. So we kind of made an identity out of it. So maybe that made it easier for him. Yeah. But whenever people ask, I was like, yeah, I, I launched him. Because it's just easier, isn't it, to say that? <laughs> it's funny because from the outside, you it seems so kind of um, generous and warm and celebratory that you're like, hey, I'm, you know, like you've done stand up about it where you talk about how gutted I am that, you know, if you mm -hmm. search my name, the auto completes, <laughs> you know, yeah. my mom is one, mom and Rome is one. That was true for a while. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for a while. Okay, we've got that in. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and, then, and then I got successful and it was fine. Uh, <laughs> that was a really good motivator, actually, to keep. I mean, what? <laughs> Being more successful. What a there. motivator. To, like, because, like I said, from the outside, it seems so, it seems so warm and generous and celebratory. But I think what you're kind of hinting at is there's other kind of icky stuff under there as well about like it, it can't have been easy having a mum that was so driven like that is a good principle in many mm. ways like a kind of ken campbell you know mm -hmm. be heroic don't you dare be boring. Like, be terrible but don't be boring mm -hmm. like that's sort of like you'd expect that from like a teacher at a military clown academy do you know what I mean it's mm -hmm. like your mum has a sort of goliath quality to her mm -hmm. do you feel mm -hmm. where it's like this is shit this is shit be better mm -hmm. Like, how does that feel? What's your emotional reaction to that? Anytime I've done those kind of, I've never been to Goliath, but that kind of, you're doing clowning and the teacher is showing you that you're not funny by going in front of you and everyone. Mm -hmm. Brutal kind of clowning training. Mm -hmm. I felt very bruised and very damaged by that. <laughs> and I didn't necessarily, I, I had little flashes of discovery. Yeah. I didn't then go, this has unlocked a positive thing. Right, no, I really responded to it. I was like, mom. <laughs> <laughs> you must have. <laughs> oh, this feels like home. Yeah, no, I think growing up it was quite hard because the stakes were really high. What were the stakes? The stakes were like, you know, so like we got we got a deportation letter at one point and she really used that as a way of being like, look, you know, she was, she was doing three jobs to fight for the legal battle, uh, to pay for the legal battles to fight it. And she okay. was, she was doing a lot. She was, she was like working like round the clock and teaching us. And then she also would get neighborhood kids, immigrant kids, um, and teach them English, math, science after school so that we could learn more after school. So we'd come home from school and then we'd have two hours of tuition, which felt... Tuition from her? From her. Okay. Um, and there'd always be like 15 kids around the table, you know, in our, in, in our living room. And so it was like, home was sometimes more school than school. Mm. And so there was kind of, so the reason why stake the reasons why stakes felt higher also because she had a reputation to uphold. She was like the teacher, like she wanted us to get into grammar school. She was teaching eleven plus to the neighborhood kids. She taught kids who then got in and passed that exam okay. and got scholarship to grammar school. None of us did, and that okay. was a real shaming thing for her because she was like, "I'm the teacher." Like I'm, I, she had, she was always a sort of community leader type figure. Okay. And with that came, you are my examples of how you can, and sometimes I reckon it was ego related and sometimes it was selfish, but a lot of the times it was because she really just wanted us to do well. And she saw just failure just wasn't an option. <laughs> That's, I think yeah. you've said that twice now, in this, like failure not being an option. I think I, I'm interested in like, like that would, that would kind of cook any comic, right? As a kid, that would, that would, that would help forge a comic. Like, um, even without the the kind of the entertainment focus of what she was, you know, her her like childhood star, you know, be interesting, that kind of stuff. Even without any of that, loads and loads and loads of pressure from a parent, you've got to succeed, you've got to make my sacrifices worthwhile. That might kind of, you'd imagine that would push 
a, a young boy or a teenage boy into running away with entertainment. But the thing you were running away into was also wrapped up in her and her expectations for you. So did you feel like you were rebelling by being a performer or did you feel like you were conforming to her wishes by being a performer? Whoa, uh, whoa. No, I thought like, I was I was rebelling. Like, I did feel like I was following my own Okay. Um, because I also used it as a way to like get away from them. It's really weird. It's a really weird contradictory relationship because I got her involved in the videos because it was also a lighthearted relief from all the stuff going on. But yeah. at the same time, it was it was just aligned with you know there was also a lot of, a lot a lot of love from her and a lot of like um she she was such a good example of someone who like was like going through shit but also somehow managed to prioritize art and creativity so she's very unexpected you know it's very she's a very un, like unpredictable person in that way you know and she um she yeah she has contradictions which i think has helped in terms of me making stuff what was the first bit of uh like other than the videos you did what was the first kind of mainstream thing that referred to her was it like material about her on stage or was it putting her in a video I'm just interested in like, I'm asking because I, I want to kind of get at whether she's sort of satisfied now with your, presumably she's satisfied with your success. Yeah, although part of me st still thinks she doesn't quite oh, understand that's what, what I'm about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What, what's, that, what's, what's that feel? What, part of you feels that she's what? You, part of you worries that she's not, like she doesn't get it or she doesn't get the... No, I like that she doesn't get it. I like that she's like, so that bit's she, rebelling because you're excelling at something that she doesn't quite get. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But also I'm doing it on my own terms. And um, so the 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 first day we turned up to the shoot for Juice, it, me and my brother and my mum, we all had trailers next to each other. And we just remember like turning up like 5 a.m. on that first day of the shoot, just being like, what the fuck? Like just have trailers next to each other. And we just all looked at each other like, this is this is mad and where we've come from. It was it was quite emotional. And and those moments are like, no, she totally gets it. And she she understands, you could feel the emotion. Like without, we, we weren't even saying anything, but that whole shoot was just like, I can't believe they let us get, get away with it. And also we deserve to be here because we've worked our asses off. And also who would have thunk it against all odds? It was just so blissful. Um, and then also I'll go to the BAFTAs or whatever. She'll be like, uh, yeah, good for you, whatever. Like she doesn't, so I like that, that she partly doesn't get it because it kind of, I don't get carried away with the weird industry stuff. Okay. Because it's not like I'm doing that to get her validation anymore. Yes, yes, okay. Because she kind of doesn't get that. So I'm just doing so my own thing. So maybe you can't validate it. So it actually means you're free to go to the BAFTAs without thinking mum would be pleased. Yeah. yeah no, she <laughs> literally isn't watching, doesn't care. <laughs> um, which is amazing and it's freeing because we, our industry is a bit bullshit. And it's nice when actually the people close to you are a bit detached from all the ego structures of it yes you were saying before in, in terms of your like how hard you find writing on your own that you feed off other people like mm. other people's kind of energy and creativity i guess and stuff like that is she someone that you feed off are your other your family members someone that you feed off out of necessity they were the only ones around <laughs> and actually i used to put a lot of my friends in it and i used to get my you know um i used to direct music videos for grime artists that was like my first bit of like i'm gonna make uh, films in the world okay and um 
I used to like turn up, I was like 18 years old, I used to like copy and paste the contracts off Google and like turn up into McDonald's and it'd be like someone from like Big Nasty's crew just like sitting there like being like, yeah, but I need sexy girls, yeah, sexy girls. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I try and get my sexiest friends to oh be in there. And then my mom would do their makeup and my dad would do the catering. And... That's unreal. Yeah. And then all my friends would just come in and work for free. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and this is this is part of what you sort of described as it sounds like it's a kind of methodical approach to and one of the things I noticed, I think I asked you to be on the podcast like five years ago and you sort of said I'm not ready yet. And I, I kind of I sort of went, What do you mean? But but you seem to have like a I real know, I, I think you said that. Um but you might have just been palming me off because you're busy. That's entirely reasonable. But it, it seems it seems like a very methodical approach to how can I get to the thing? I'll need to spend time on film sets. I'll need to direct stuff. I'll need, so you kind of built, like was, you went to Golio, right? Mm. So I, how long were you there for? Which I could only course? afford the summer course. Okay, so yeah. was that like a kind of deliberate, methodical piece of the puzzle? In the way that like, I think a lot of people, maybe actors or something, or, or stand-ups who are frustrated, go and study with the great French clown teacher, Golier, in order to sort of unlock something for them. Mm. It feels more like, I suppose the, I don't know to what extent I'm sort of con contriving this myself, but I, my assumption has always been it's like, I must go there to, to unlock myself and find out who I am. With you, I wonder, was it more sort of like, I'm going to need that piece of the puzzle as well? Oh, no, it was never, I never like, had a five-year plan or whatever. I just remember. How did you not have a five-year plan? No, I didn't. Plan? I didn't. I had dreams, like big ones. And, the, I, and then I, you methodically approached yeah. assembling all of the pieces of those dreams. Sure. But like, you know, I never went to university. I never trained, apart from that Golia summer course. So I always just thought, saw it as my duty, as my proactive duty of someone who wants to make art in the world. I was like, I'm going to come up with my own curriculum and I'm going to... I see someone who I, I was blown away by or I admired. Actually, Listening to this podcast, I was it was Dr. Brown on it talking yeah. about Golier, and I went to see a show, and I was like, that whatever it is that 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 needs to be part of the puzzle. So then I do go off and do Got that. It. But then to do that, you're like, you know, okay, but I'm going to do that job, so I get the money for it. Then I'm going to do that. So there was a bit of methodical around, um, yes. and then I'm going to book myself in Edinburgh, so I get to apply what I've learned straight away. And yes. so there is that kind of year long methodical stuff. Yes, but it's mainly just taken on too much. You know, I've done like 12 years of just doing too much and a lot of it is stuck and a lot of it hasn't. But you just don't see the stuff that hasn't. When you talk about that Dr. Brown thing, seeing that that's part of the puzzle, can you articulate what bit of the that was that you were responding to? Oh, the 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 pirate energy he had at his show and just the... What do you mean pirate energy? You know, like it was wrong and he was breaking rules and he was so naughty. I wanted to be no. I wanted to be in a room and people just be like, "Oh, he's crazy!" He just takes us for a ride, and you just you just grab people and you just go. And I wanted that energy, whether it was in my scripts or in my performance. I I wanted the rebellious, naughty energy that I didn't have at that stage. I remember doing quite fairly bog standard stand up premises, ah. and up until that point, I was maybe doing my impression of stand up comedians that I've seen that are quite you know, normative. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the naughtiness, I'm remembering now some of the early YouTube videos. You did a thing with a guy called Ollie White, who I believe went on to become a massive YouTuber, yeah. um, where you were just kind of being annoying on tubes. Yeah. And it's really funny because it's from a long time ago, but it's like, oh, everyone's doing that on TikTok now. That's yeah, like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's that kind of, oh, if we, if we create a YouTube and we kind of democratize everyone having a video camera, teenagers will be annoying in public. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and part of me, like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's a curious sort of understandable step along the way. And then initially I was like, oh, you're really, uh, these are stooges. And then I was like, no, no, you're really annoying real people. Really annoying, But, but yeah. part of me almost, <laughs> there are elements of it where, like, I don't love that genre particularly, but there were elements of it that were very funny. There's, like, someone asleep on the tube and you fall asleep on them and your mates asleep on their feet. And it just, it did have a kind of completeness. It had a sort of a, there was a worthwhile joke to it. Yeah, they were excruciating to shoot though, man. But I remember just being like, you have to be audacious and ignore the people in that moment. And then it will always be funny in the video. The more you don't give a shit about the real life people. <laughs> Where's that, where did that rule come from? Um, where did that rule come from? I just remember filming one and being like, it's too tamed. It's too, I didn't push myself enough. Yes. And that's the, that's the thing with the YouTube videos. You'd always watch it back and you'd be like, could have done that better. And you're then editing it and being like, I don't have this shot that I need. So the next time you get out, you just you're just like, well, fuck it. I need yeah, to get. I need to get it. Whatever else happens, you've got to. You're thinking yeah. about you in the editing room going, yeah, I've yeah, got to yeah. have the shot. Exactly. And you're thinking about the comment where people, the comment that people would be like, where they'll say the, you know, the time code number. Yeah. Or like, oh my god, this bit is nuts, and you know, yeah, the one that they'll yeah, really yeah. share. And you're thinking about all that stuff. God, as, as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, mad. <laughs> those are big. Those are like you've really grown up inside the world of. I tell her, oh man, I was going to say content creation. What I mean is all the stuff you do, you know, all the stuff we're talking about, you've grown mm. up inside the world of it. Yeah, and sometimes you have to do it to be like, nah, not for me. Or, you know, some some of that stuff, I it definitely taught me things, but I definitely didn't want to do that for a very long time. I was like, oh, I'm just going to become an annoying prankster YouTube person. I, that's not, that can only go so far. And it's not that fulfilling. It, well, it's interesting when I when I kind of I was sort of started looking into it. And I was going, oh right, oh he used to be a YouTuber. I didn't know that. And I went back. I kind of looked at your YouTube channel, which has a healthy number of subscribers, but not necessarily what you'd expect from someone who started. It's not like Mr. Beast numbers from someone who started as a teenager. And I thought, yeah. oh, you you dropped this and moved on. And so I clicked on uh, the, the uh, Ollie. Is it Ollie White? Is that mm. his name? And he's on like three million subscribers mm -hmm. or something. And I'm going, oh right, that's one of the paths you decided not to take. Well, I also pissed a lot of my audience off. So like, I would find a thing and then break it because I was using in the way I used Edinburgh. It, I, I I was using it as a let's see what sticks. Let's grow artistically, and. Let's try pranks. Nah, not for me. Let's try um, a magazine show. Okay, yeah, there's bits of this I like. Let's try something really surreal. You know, and I think a lot of people are just like, oh, who are you? Like, why don't you just do those videos about Asian mums anymore? It's like Yes, because actually what the algorithm wants is one joke said in lots of different ways. Exactly. I mean, not, you know, that's very reductive, but no, I think but, that's what you were rejecting. Yeah, and it's a really good training because YouTube and that thing is really simplified representation of the greater industry, I think. Because the greater industry wants the same thing as well. You do your thing, you do your Netflix special, you have your brand and you have your, and then you just kind of keep doing it. And in terms of yeah, monetizing yes. and then it eventually gets to bigger venues and stuff. Like it is just, that is just how it works. Because if someone's producing you, they want to cultivate, they want you to cultivate the same audience and the same people and sell them tickets for 10 pounds then tickets for 15 pounds then bigger yeah. venue for 40. Do you know what I mean? And that, yeah, you're absolutely right. That, that behaves in the same way. So yeah. to resist that, 
did that feel hard work to resist it? Because presumably when you do a thing that works, you get all the dopamine from, oh, loads of people click like. Yeah. They liked it. And, and then you presumably got to have a bit of intestinal fortitude to go, I'm going to not do that. And I'm going to yeah. start again doing something different with five likes. Yeah, but it's because I'd see people fucking shit up and I was like, that's a way more interesting way to live your life. And I'm really lucky actually, because I always really wanted, I wanted those millions, I wanted those subscribers, I wanted them so bad. And I'm really glad I never really got mass attention. Even now with Juice, like I'm really glad that it's not the show overnight. Everyone is going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there's a really good buzz to it, but it's yeah. very much first series. You know, maybe by third series it will catch. But like there is something so valuable about not being the biggest thing since sliced bread or not blowing up with a project. Always just kind of simmering away because at any point you could be like, nah, prioritize my artistic choice. Um, rather than commercial game, because the, the the pressure is higher to conform when there's more eyes on you and when there's more commercial eyes on you. That's so smart. That's and really YouTube good. taught me that. YouTube was like the perfect pre-training before getting into the, the bigger arena mm. of all those things, of how to deal with hate, of how to like um, understand the difference between just wanting attention and wanting to be good at an art form. Yes, recognising that popular doesn't mean good. Yeah. Like actually learning that and knowing it in the bone. Yeah, and pissing people off. Mm. always piss people off like I, I remember when I did the Moan show like I lost a lot of my subscribers so you do all these like five six seven eight years of like building momentum and then you see your subscriber list just drop no one ever talks about that yeah. I don't think anyone's ever mentioned that. everyone likes to give the impression that it's relentless growth of course naturally you know people listen to the show I, I want people to be vulnerable and admit the stuff but yeah those drop off moments where yeah. you go explosive something and then yeah. they dribble away and I'll do that in my career in terms of like I might do a movie that's like just like the subscriber count metaphorically people just go oh no he's he fell off he's not good yeah. at it it's not juice, is it? Like, yeah, he's not as good as he used to be or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And no, that was me experimenting and uh, whatever. I Sometimes it bangs, sometimes it doesn't. What, what, what voice is that of like being able to, I suppose what I'm asking is for someone as driven as you, for someone as kind of driven and that kind of, that drive maybe being forged in the crucible of your, your upbringing and your, the influence of your mum, for someone as driven, like that seems so, um, uh, not counterintuitive, but it seems like what a lucky escape to to be so driven, but not so driven that you have to just pursue whatever works. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? That's a, mm -hmm. that's a real contradiction. So that where does that voice come from? Like, is that do you feel that's like a really healthy internal voice that's saying, no, mate, we, we haven't got to do this. That internal voice comes from like uh, filling up the well and uh, with like inspiration of people like watching stuff, reading stuff keeping an eye on the people who've done it the way I enjoy. Like every now and again, I'll be like, well, Donald Glover's not done a thing in a couple of years. And he's just, he's just, he, he's probably just cultivating his next project. Or oh. he, he did that and then dropped a music album no one expected. Like it's okay. You know, the ones who, I don't know, just the, the interesting shit is the, the stuff that catches you. Uh, I don't know, just, I think basically seeing other people who are like, who I um, idolize helps. And they're often, they, there's just a pattern in the people I'm inspired by and they're rebellious and unpredictable. And who, can you give me some other examples? Like Donald Glover's a great example of that. Yeah, he's like, I love what he's done. Um, you know, Michaela Cole. Yeah. Um, who else? Also like a lot of musicians and uh, uh, who, MIA. Yeah. You know, she, 
She's a, she's a complete pirate. I love that energy. Yeah, that documentary yeah. was incredible. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mad. I went to see it four times. <laughs> <laughs> her whole her basic assumptions about what her role is, I think are really fascinating. Yes. I can see why that that kind of um why that appeals to you. That thing of like as soon as this works, do something else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Break the mandala, start again. And also I'm doing that, I'm taking the scenic road, man. I'm like I know I'm going to be doing this to my dying breath, right? So what's the what's the rush? Also, people like I remember being that consumer of commercial stuff and being really reductive about artists. You know, I'd remember you know you see like Riz Ahmed and you're like, oh well, he hasn't done anything in six years now. Like nothing that's really really hit commercial, whatever. And then he comes out with the most amazing stuff, and you go, oh, the true the true people the people who really are doing this for the for the love of the art form. They, they come and go in a really healthy way and they're doing it on their own terms. Um, yeah. Do you feel as consistent as this consistently? I'll explain what I mean by that very confusing question. I, I'm really, I'm so in awe of your, your kind of MO of how you've, how you've done this and, and the things that appeal to you, you've decided what's important to you, the rebelliousness, the naughtiness, changing it up all the time. Like I've got, I think we've all got our own sort of set of precepts. We've all got our set. Of, I don't know what that word means. It just felt right in the same, mm-hmm. in the right sentence. Um, I think we've all got a set of principles mm-hmm. as to I'm going to be like this and I'm going to do this. With mine, and maybe it's partly a result of doing like talking to hundreds and hundreds of comics about theirs and always leaving. I always think when I watched Back to the Future when I was a kid, I was like, I want to skateboard. And then I watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I was like, I want to throw knives. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I really, I, I get... I get sort of overwhelmed by individual little details and go, I'll pursue that, I'll pursue that. I feel very inconsistent sometimes. Do you, you, I'm sort of in awe of how consistent your approach seems from how you describe it now. Do you feel that it's consistent? Or do you, when we cut the recording, will part of you, or, you know, an hour from now or two days from now, do you think there's a, a danger that you'll think, God, I don't know what I'm doing? Like, do you ever have moments of going like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Or do you feel consistent? I've been having that at the moment. What's a long because... question. I'm so sorry. No, 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 totally, man. Like, like, it's so easy to reflect back on the last decade and be like, yeah, this was the the, the path. <laughs> and actually going forward is not that clear. Um, but like, for example, at the moment, I am, I'm really enjoying the music and I'm making an album and I have a band and we did Glastonbury and basically pretended we were rock stars and it felt really good and I would like that's not consistent and it doesn't uh, follow the trajectory right right now Mm. you know you've made your first show right time to write the next series um maybe get an acting job um to show that you can't you can play other characters there is a there is a there's a pull of me to do that and I'm and I'm really enjoying it and Mm -hmm. things are building and then there's this other side of me that's just like, oh no, just go and just just go and make an album, you know what I mean? And just do music videos that don't pay. The music doesn't pay. But I also don't want to ignore that instinct as well because that's the same instinct that ended up meant that I've ended up doing quite an interesting mixture of things that make me unique. So I don't know. I'm always trying to balance between this is the trajectory, and this is what's really exciting you. So don't ignore that. And sometimes they feed each other. So when you tell me about the first time you set foot on a stand-up stage, and about how you 
how you felt about that, what the kind of lead into that was, whether it was something mm. like, this is a part of, I'm going to need to know how to do this, yeah. or whether it was like, screw everything else, I've got to do this. How did you bring yourself to it? Yeah, it was like, if I want to be, if I'm going to be, if I could be good at just one thing, it would be that, like, I, maybe I saw like Simon Amstel live or something, mm. and I was like, oh my God, he's commanding a room. That's so much power. Um, and it was such a nice antidote to the YouTube videos where I could kind of play it safe and hide behind the camera. And, and I, I did start seeing that actually some of it was really contrived. Like, I see a video I did like eight months ago and I'd be like, oh, I don't talk like that. What's going on? Oh, and I'm just, you know, and so I was just like, let me figure out who I really am in with a room full of people, unfiltered and honest. And so I did a stand-up course because, again, it was that thing of, like, choose my own curriculum, right? I need to do a course sure, to get the yeah, thing. Okay. Which, which course did you do? Uh, the comedy school in okay, Camden. I don't think I know that one. Okay. Uh, with Mr. C. And so we had our showcase, but it was, like, the first time everyone's going to do their stand-up. But I was like, well, let me just quickly do a gig before that showcase so I could be the best at the showcase. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the, I love the idea you would turn up and find everyone else from the showcase also. At that yeah, gig. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did the Lions then in, in Leicester Square. And I paid four pounds to go on. And it was just like seven of the other comics. And it was, I just got such a buzz. I was like, that was the best feeling ever. And then I did the the showcase and it went really well. And I was like, oh my God, this is my calling. I'm a star. I'm Simon I'm star. This is incredible. And then obviously the very next gig, you're like, oh no, I'm 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 shit. Like, and and oh, and then the gig after that, oh, I'm really shit. Oh, I'm, and then a string of shit gigs, and, and then a comedian friend's booked to one. Like, you know, you're like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. But then a comedian friend had booked a thing, and he was like, I'm driving to Brighton, we're doing a gig. And then that one went all right, so it's enough to hang on a bit longer. And, yeah. and next thing you know, you've done six Edinburgh's, and you're on that conveyor belt. And, and you, what were you talking about in the early days? Because I'm really interested in how your stand up sets, or certainly the sets that I've seen, the televised sets I've seen, have fed into Juice as like an autobiographical, semi-autobiographical kind of piece. Yeah, like I'd say Juice is the one, that, the one that really hit me was the tummy, letting your tummy go. Yeah, yeah, like That's yeah. such a lovely moment in Juice. Yeah. And it's a great moment on stage. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Oh, wait a minute. That's yeah. how that's built. So, but what, what were you talking about in the beginning? And when did you start talking about reality? Yeah, I've always, I've always lied as well. I think that's quite an important, honest thing to say. I've always, you know, I've always lied in stand-up as well as told the truth. Because I think that's that's quite important. Um, uh, so you know, a lot of juice is fictional, um, and I'm really glad it is because it's a really exposing thing to do, to have your own show, to have your family in it. So um, I'm really glad I had the the stand up stuff that did go into it. That it wasn't all just really because watching someone like Simon Amstel, I was like, oh my god, I have to say all the most uncomfortable things. But then also you find ways of code in it. You find ways of protecting yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but the early stuff was really bad, man. It was really bad. I, I'm too embarrassed to say. It was just like really like stereotypical cliche sh shit. A lot of Asian stuff, South Asian stuff about my mom and my family and like, uh, um, and and sperm, doing a sperm donor thing that I didn't even do. I just thought sperm was funny, so I said it. <laughs> really bad, man. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So this is Mwan. He's a joy. He's a sparkling gem. He's just one of those people who's like, you feel, when you talk to him, you just feel like suddenly you're in his orbit. He's wonderful. And um, coming up in the second half, we're going to be asking whether you can be mentally healthy and still do comedy. Uh, we're going to talk about Mwan's dream project, find out what he's working on at the minute. And we're going to ask, of course, if he's happy. Now, I've got some important news for you. The Insiders Club is moving to Patreon. Here is why. Uh, you are going to get full video episodes when you join the Insiders Club via Patreon. Full video episodes of every episode we do. Uh, you are going to get the extra content now in video as well as audio. That includes, in this case, over 20 minutes of Mwan. We have got streamlined account management. We've got exclusive guest announcements and engagement. And we've got new membership offerings, including a monthly Zoom Q&A, which is a Q&A with me with a fun title. You also get access, of course, to the full back catalogue of extras with the new RSS feed. And that is hundreds of hours of stuff. So thank you, as always, for your support. It means that the show can continue to new and greater heights. This change has been in the works for a while now that I'm working with co-producer Callum on the show. Um, I should call him producer Callum, but basically it's a wider kind of... He's co-producing my entire life, really. So I, I'm going to make a decision now. I'm calling you producer Callum, all right? I, for me... It was an upgrade that you'd be called co-producer Callum, but that's just the my, that's just the way that my mind works from you being the producer of ComComPod to the co-producer of my life. This is basic, This could have been a phone call. But uh, the point is, uh, me and producer Callum have been we've 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 been working on this change for a few months now. It's so exciting. All the possibilities that are opening up, everything is becoming streamlined and in one place and much, much simpler and much, much better with more stuff in it. Already in the can are full video episodes with Dara O'Brien returning to the show by request, uh, Josh Pugh, Leo Reich, and many, many more. Uh, what you need to do now is this. If you're a member of the Insiders Club currently, you need to cancel your current Insiders membership at awesome.com slash Insiders Club or PayPal, whichever way you've done it, or Moonclerk, the six of you have been paying on Moonclerk. 
And you need to set up your new membership, which is from £3 a month at patreon.com slash comcompod. The old link of comedianscomedian.com slash insiders also works, so you may as well use that. In your welcome email from Patreon will be the new unique RSS feed link, which you can then paste to your podcast app. And from Tuesday the 30th of April, the original Insiders RSS feed will stop updating with new content. The Insiders Club has been £2 a month basic rate since 2015, and I love you. The main podcast is and will always remain free. Right? That's the business. That's what you need to do. Cancel your current membership and rejoin at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Or you, if you're a Patreon person already, you can go direct to patreon.com slash comcompod. Three pounds a month, loads more stuff, loads more good stuff. And this is the beginning of a the very first few public steps of a big uh, radical transformation of how I do this podcast. Really, really exciting. I hope you will join me on this glorious next step of the journey. Thank you for listening. We're going to get back to Mawan just now. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Mawan R. You can watch all episodes of Juice on the BBC iPlayer to find out what we're talking about. And you can see my award-winning climate show spoilers at Leicester Comedy Festival on the 22nd of February and indeed on May the 4th at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival. All of the links in the blurbs and the bio. Let's get back to Mawan. Was that employment of material that you know you're better than was that out of desperation was it just because it was the first idea first idea it's first pancake very wobbly do you know what <laughs> it's I mean? a lovely expression yeah. i made pancakes recently of course yeah of course the first, the first... Always... why is the first one always shit every I know, time right? i'm like i'm gonna nail this first one because the mix is the same mix and the pan is right. the same pan right so why doesn't it work you just need to get that first one out of the way and don't <laughs> give it to anyone you know and if you don't put it up on youtube for eternity <laughs> and I, my first pancake when stand up was really like lasted five six years you know I, it took me a long time to drop the hat stuff I, I don't know why I, I i i think i was really intelligent in terms of like my like ambitions and stuff but i wasn't that intelligent in terms of writing and and that's okay like but i just always was deluded enough to still do it because at the time i didn't know it was bad mm. and if i did I'd, I'd do that thing where a lot of creatives do which is it's not good enough i'm not putting it out it's not good enough i'm not putting it out i'd put songs out i'd put i'd always just send energy out and if it was shit it was shit whatever i would learn over the course of a year people don't laugh at that story more why let's start interrogating and stop saying the same old shit so that happened but it took a very long time i see stand-ups now they're been going for a year i did the bbc new comedy awards i was judging the thing and i was like these people were so good yeah. And it blew my mind, man. It made me feel really hopeless. <laughs> it's taken me such a long time to not be shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm agreeing with the, the the concept rather than, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you were shit. Yeah, you were ages. Yeah. yeah. And even now, well, I'm... Uh... <laughs> but, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a long journey, man. But but I think there's, there's value in taking the scenic group, as I say. There's... um. You know, the way you age, like a fine wine, like the way you, you I don't know, I, you know, making juice, there were production meetings where I was like, nah, I know my shit. You can't. That's, it's such an auteur kind of a project, right? I really feel like you made all the decisions on that. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I had an amazing producer, Hannah Mulder, and the directors, Roscoe Five, had very similar sensibilities around what made us laugh and sure. the surreal stuff. Sure, but you weren't you weren't approaching it as some comics will. You get your sitcom that you've written and you're excited to get the sitcom. Yeah. So then 
producers or people with opinions on it, I don't mean specifically producers, but everyone's got an opinion. And if you're not careful, it turns into a sort of grey sludgy version of yeah, what you wanted to do. Exactly. You're very much like, this is the vision. That's it. Had you like storyboarded it? What would you, what, what, how did you, what were the tools you used to get what your, what the idea in your head was onto the screen? Well, first of all, my approach to it was that this is the dream project. This is everything I've been building towards, you know, down to the soundtrack which I made, you know, with the composer. Like, everything was like, you know, every skill, every job, every side hustle I've had, all of those skills are going to go into this. This is not just another thing I tick off my comedian trajectory of, like, you do the panel shows, you sell your tour tickets, and then you did it, and then you get your sitcom. No, this is the thing. This is what I want to do. I want to write, I want to act, uh, and I want to play characters that are physical and uh, inventive. So that was the first approach. It was, like, again, that thing of, like, failure is not an option. <laughs> Um, so I just worked my ass off, man, and I always just um, I I always basically said I want to make something that on, that's on that's like nothing else on telly right now. That was my main goal, yeah. um, and it has to feel honest and emotionally truthful as well as um, silly and surreal and adventurous. So that was the ammo. Um, yeah, and then it was just a case of making sure I was, I was an exec on it, because um, I'd been in I've been in development hell, been stuck in production company development loops for years, pitching stuff, and it never got off. And I knew what a bad producer looked and sounded like. I knew what a bad production company. Can you can you describe some of those things for me without identifying anyone? Like the the tropes of well, the first thing look out for. I was so this is this was like my eighth Edinburgh or something like that, and I was so sick of the usual shit. I was like, I'm not trying to make any old TV show. I don't want to make a TV show unless it's on my terms anymore. I'm done. So I was like, the first fil filtering process was that if they haven't come to the Edinburgh show, they're not getting a meeting. Yeah. Because that's a production who's jumping on the bandwagon. Why don't you come to the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you know okay, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they've heard a buzz and they do. So, uh, and then the other, there, there was also just, you just know when there is a, you know, you do a meeting and, and it's always the guy and it's always the older white guy who's the CEO and you're giving real like two holiday homes kind of vibe. And he's doing all the talking um, and he's got a person of color in the, in the meeting and maybe <laughs> a woman, a, and, but a she thing? doesn't get to speak. Okay, is that a thing? Is that the, you yeah. feel like those people have been invited into the space in order to meet with you or in order to kind of, like they're not the boss. They're on the team, but they're not the boss. You can really feel it when it's like, um, yeah, you can really feel it. I mean, that's super cynical, but I, I have felt that often. Um, and then you, and then you can also feel it when, when, when people, when you know that this is a company who works with people for the right reasons. It's collaborative, not just, not just um, trying to stay on the trendy thing. And then just from the way they talk, you can you know when they want you to make something because it's, it's exciting and something a bit different, or when they are like, so Channel Four is looking for a family thing, uh, BBC is looking for this. We could pitch that. You're like, oh, you are basically a banker mm -hmm. in a creative job. Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of radar. Um, and also, you know, you when you decide, it's like a relationship when you decide to go with a production company or a producer to make your show. You got to think like in five years' time when I'm on set and it's crunch time, are they gonna have my back or are they gonna throw me under the bus? Yeah, right. When the channel is going conform, 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 are they gonna play play the game and be really like actually sneaky about getting your interesting idea through? Or are they gonna double down on what 
the conformist industry is saying and tell you what you need to do. Yeah, right. And the first rule of that is, well, let me be exec on it. Because mm-hmm. I know it's all in good faith, but if if you're not exec, you're not in the room when that final decision is made. Okay. So first of all, okay. put your money where your mouth is. And if it's my first, you know, if it's my, first, I'm really wet behind the ears. First thing, fine. But I've been I've been doing this long enough to know what I want and the kind of show I want to make. So that was a big thing of like make me an exec. <laughs> when I saw your Apollo set, have you? Is it just the once you've done Apollo? Mm-hmm. So your Apollo set. When I saw that. I knew, like, it's so well written. I don't mean the individual jokes, but it's such a well composed set. Mm. It's such, how long did you do? Is it like 15 and they edited it down, or I can't remember? I think you do 20 and they edit it down to 12 or something like that, yeah. But you, from the beats of like mentioning the song a few times and mentioning the confetti, and also setting up who you are, your worldview, and everything else, it's like, it's such a kind of, um, it's such a successful statement of intent. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to go, oh, well, if I'm doing Apollo, I'll do precisely this and then everyone will know exactly who the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. Was that, um, and it's, it's. Uh, I've said uh, some complimentary things to you in the last hour or so that you've been like, oh, that's nice. With this one, you're like, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Yeah. No, not at all, because it is, because it's correct, because you were very intentional about making those things. Yeah. Um, a little birdie tells me you have um, a really innate sense of what will work and what won't. Do you think mm. that's fair? Yeah, but that's just experience, isn't it? But I also don't. I also don't. I still do a lot of throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks. Um, but the Apollo one, I did, I worked my ass off on that. Because it was the Apollo, man. It was, like, huge. It was, uh, you know, all those years of YouTube and all those years of being like, I'm not really a proper comedian. And then you do Apollo and you're like, no, now's my chance to, like, do what I want to do in the way that I'm going to look back in 10 years and be like, yeah, I did all right. Yeah. Um, so I, I really constructed that and I really thought about that. And I was like, how do I get across all all the like joy and the dance and all the like physical stuff as well as saying something that like emotionally I agree with, politically I agree with. Yeah. Cause that's there forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I start, I look at it now and be like, piece of shit, I can make it better. Obviously, <laughs> you just, that's how you grow, right? The Ten curse years. of the growing performance, yeah. the curse of the artist. Yeah. It's really, it's not a piece of shit. No, it's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> but I can look at it and be like, for that time, where I was at, well done. And that's that's big to say that in the world where we're constantly putting out content and, you know, quantity over quality vibes. It's hard to say that about your work. So that's it's nice to stand by that. Were you were you bashing the circuit ever? Have you done like were you ever doing mirth control gigs and, you know, driving up like obviously tour support? That's kind of like premium circuit. But were you doing kind of like hard yards? Drive to Falmouth and back kind of stuff. Yeah, I always did this thing where I had this voice in my head. It was like, tell a fucking joke, mate. Like this real kind of like male um, thing in British comedy where it's like you do the hard graph and you do the shit gigs and you drive up and down. And I always felt like I had to do that. And, I, and you know, and the clubs. But it, I think I had quite an unhealthy relationship to it because at, to a, at a certain point I was just like, I'm not enjoying this. It's making me a worse comedian in terms of I they laugh sometimes they laugh more when I say reductive shit about certain yeah. identities that I don't want to reduce. So I had to real I had to really be like, what am I doing here? And then I started seeing it as uh, an athlete who trains, do a bit of high altitude, do a bit of this, do a bit of isolated exercise on this muscle, do a, do this sport, and then you've got a fuller picture. So I was like, I'm gonna do those. 
you know, alternative comedian kind of like more loosey goosey gigs that are a bit more art form based and a bit more like wanky or whatever. And then I'm also going to do a comedy store in, in you know, um, up north somewhere. And then I'm also just to make sure I could do every room. But when it comes down to it, the main thing I'm doing is the rooms that bring me joy. I think altitude training is such a lovely uh, uh, analogy because after altitude training, presumably one's body is totally fucked because you've been altitude training. Mm. And maybe the analogous thing there is that after a gig in South End, where oh no, let's let's pick on I like South End. Let's pick on uh, Ashford in Kent. Mm. Uh, after a gig in Ashford in Kent, you come off stage thinking. Oh Christ! Yeah, I mean that's uh, you know I won, but at what cost? Yeah, that right. Kind of feeling, and I suppose that's that's the same to the. Hey, listen, if you're thinking of it as altitude training, then you're not thinking of it as I've sold out all my principles in order to leave the stage without stuff getting thrown at me. Yeah, exactly. But also, I only I can only do a handful of those things as well because they don't pay. I learned very quickly live comedy does not pay to live, yeah. pay rent in London. I can't be going up to. Also, I didn't drive, so I was paying like. 50 quid for the train ticket mm. and getting paid 60 quid like yeah. by the time you've had a sandwich so a lot of those decisions were made financially as well and um i'd like to think i wasn't too london centric because you know you want to keep a view on perspective and how different audiences react but a lot of the times you end up being london centric as a financial thing as well yeah um but yeah that's why i was like i need to write scripts because yeah gigs ain't paying to what extent was it a financially motivated decision to write scripts because comedy ain't paying or what's the relationship between that and, you know, one age 12, burning desire, got to make my own show? Well, the problem is that you start writing scripts and you're like, fuck, scripts don't pay either. <laughs> oh, acting doesn't pay either. Okay, so you learn everything. Nothing really what pays? pays. What's the best? For ages. What? I tell you what pays, doing an episode of Vera and getting royalties for the yes. next 10 years. But, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's weird that some real dumb shit pays that you're just like, why? What? Um, adverts pay, you know, but you don't want to do it. <laughs> like, so it's a really, yeah, that whole money versus what you actually want to create is a real battle still. Um, Will it yeah. can, as you continue to be more successful and grow and, you know, your profile, your star rises, presumably the nature of that battle has changed and will continue to change. Like you might get better paid advert offers or do you know what I mean? Like or corporate gigs where you think, oh, they know what they're getting, and I'm a famous guy off the telly now. Been on mm. Graham Norton, mm. so the rate goes up. So does the nature of the battle change, or is that not something on your radar at all? Does the nature of the battle change? Yeah, kind of. Although I think it gets harder in a different way. I think you ha you have to make more like morally questionable decisions because also there are more eyes on you, and actually there are there is an impact when you do an advert that you really aren't aligned with, um, in the way that it. Like ideally you do all the shit gigs early or all the paid stuff early, but no one wants to give you even the shit stuff then because no one knows you. Yeah. Again, something that I have heard of you from someone else is that you one of your kind of principles is to go towards the love mm. in the room. Mm. And I love that. Tell me about that. Like in terms of, like I understand that in kind of going towards the laughs, like that's a, you know, I did um, the Dr. Brown clown workshops a long time ago. They're laughing, go towards that, that brilliant exercise with the chair and the round of the applause. Love it. Mm -hmm. Tell me about going towards the love. Yeah, for, like, for years I would always um, get really hung up about the person with the rest and bitch face, right? And so, um, and then you'd call them out because you're like, I'm calling the truth out in the room. And then it turns out it wasn't the majority truth and now even the people who are enjoying themselves 
think they're not meant to be enjoying themselves. So you've like turned it sour for no reason. But you're looking out onto an audience. An audience cannot see the audience around them. Yeah. So it's so hard to get that around your head. You know what I mean? They, they can't see what you're seeing. And it's like doing a telly gig where you're like, if you look like you're nailing it, it's probably all right. And it's always worse in your head. Watching recordings back really helped me realise it's always worse in your head. Yeah. Um, and no one gives as much of a shit as you do. And also, I think growing up, I was always like, I got okayness and acceptance from making, from obviously diffusing situations, that classic thing, but like also just, you know, um, externally people, externally, people externally showing that they're okay with me and that I'm safe in a room. And so when you put that into a hyper, like big stage light on your face and like this intense nerve wracking situation of being on stage, then suddenly you can go into this really negative vortex of like, they hate me, they hate me, that guy hated me, that guy, that he just yawned. Oh my God, he just texted. Um, she, why is she leaving me? Why is she leaving me? And instead of going, acting from that insecure place, just being like, that woman is like smiling, like it's her, her like her, the best day of her life. That person is sleeping. They feel safe enough to sleep at my show. The Edinburgh Fringe is a slog. They've seen eight shows a day. Like, yeah, baby, come in and sleep. I'm still getting that ticket price. You know, approaching it from this mentality, which takes a lot of training and rewiring of your brain. How do you do that training and rewiring? Because I love that. I love all, it reminds me of um, Rob Broderick, a band man, talking about him and his support act um, doing like a, a flipped, like a positive roast battle as a warm up yeah, before yeah, they go yeah. on, where they just love bomb each other. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just in love with that. It's great. How do you do that to rewire your brain? How do you remind yourself to do that? You've got, I guess you've got, to, you've got to say, this is the new operating procedure. I'm going to do this from now on. You just keep practicing. Yeah. And then you, Edinburgh really helps because you're going, you know, you're doing a show every day, every day. And then you're doing gigs and spots. And so the amount of times you walk onto stage, you can actually really, it's like isolating just your biceps and training them. Right? You can just really be like, these next four gigs, I'm just going to isolate being really positive and focusing, even if there's only two people smiling and the rest of them look fucked. I'm just focus on those two people because then you're a mirror to that energy right so then you kind of just you, you people often say that i'm like they they find me quite joyful to watch and they feel very relaxed watching me and that's because i'm actively channeling those energies in the room and then reflecting them back so some people who operate in the world of uh i'm not okay you're okay so they're like, the world is fine, I'm fucked, I'm fucked, you know. And there's some performers who approach stage like that. And maybe... Don't know where to look, mate. <laughs> no, but, and, and you know, there's comedy in that as well. There's mileage in that, like, you know. There's, a, there's and then there's, I'm okay, you're not okay. So you get performers who are really defensive. Yeah. So they're like, uh, uh, okay, you're going to make that face, are you? Okay, you're going to laugh that loudly, are you? And they're like picking at everything and people then just don't feel safe in a room. Um, and then there's people who, like, I try and just be like, Ah, I'm a guy. See some people. All right, you know. I try and do that. I try and channel that. Then so that's the I'm okay. You're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Are there any Let's performers do... who are I'm not okay. You're not okay. There probably are, aren't there? Yeah, but maybe also that's really funny. Yeah. So it's okay. These are and all depends... kind of allowable. They're allowable. They're allowable premises for a persona, but they're not great as an actual expression of your mental health. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And in my life, I try and operate from a place of, I'm okay, you're okay. Yes. Um, and sometimes you meet toxic birds and you're like, nah, you're really not okay, and I'm gonna exit the situation. Uh, but with an audience, it's interesting because I do think, yeah, it's so, 
what's what makes you not okay and what makes you kind of fucked up in your life is also perfect comedy premise, isn't it? Yeah. So it's a really weird relationship. That's why we're fucked. Because we are basically making work and monetizing the most fucked up parts of ourselves. Do you, well, that brings me to something I think about all the time, which is that if you became completely mentally healthy, would you continue to work in comedy? Yeah. I hate this thing of like, you got to be really mentally ill to be successful. You know, I'm, you know, maybe if Adele doesn't have an amazing breakup, she doesn't have an album. But it's you can also lie. <laughs> lie. Save yourself. You know, I, I just wonder about like, I, I suppose for me, it's if you are really mentally healthy, are you still prepared to pay the quite demanding cost of working in comedy? That's do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. That's, that's like very... if you if you sort of go, would you like evenings and weekends yeah. and holidays yeah. with your partner and yeah. your friends? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I would. I would like that. Yeah. That's a big thing. I talk about this it's on the show too much these days. But like I want to spend all my time with my kids. Yeah. I will consider every minute not spent with my kids as a, as a minute wasted, even when frequently they don't want to spend any time with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you can also you you've spent time with the kids that have led to giving you stories. And uh there's things that have come out of that that you can't predict. So I don't think it's as black and white as like you have to have a really fucked up life and really mess no, up your sure. relationships to have a good stand up set, you know? Um because also, is you'll always, you'll you're never going to be perfect. You'll always make mistakes. You'll always act from a flawed place, even if you've done loads of therapy. You know that so it'll all be there. It's just how creative you are in finding it in new places in your life. Have you got a relationship with therapy? I'm, I, yeah, I need to start again. <laughs> <laughs> things are bad man um, I was just thinking I need to start again I've yeah. had some great time off when I've been like woo I've nailed it never yeah. going back yeah. burn bridge and he's like facilitate to get all the ashes of the bridge yeah, yeah. yeah. but I, yeah I, I think what this, making this show has been really intense because I put a lot of pressure on myself to you know I've given it everything and I realised making a TV show they don't tell you this but especially when you're doing it in the way that I've done it in, in the altered way it costs a lot it costs relationships. It, it, yeah. And if I'm gonna do it again, and I, I need to be realistic about how much of 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 um, me I'm depleting myself of. So it's a really tricky dynamic in relationship when you when you when your dreams are coming true, but also dreams coming true are so exhausting and depleting, and you have to really balance between I've worked really hard to get to this point, but now I really have to be like, what's important. You know, and sometimes you have to be selfish and protect yourself rather than the work. Yeah, that's hard. How do you talk yourself into that? How do you talk yourself into like that drive to succeed? And then also sometimes the drive to succeed means overcoming the maybe selfishness, maybe laziness, maybe self-preservation and self-care. You're like the body wants to be lazy. Do you know what I mean? The body wants to stay in bed sometimes, and you're like, mm. "No, I've got to, def I've got to, I've got to work against that. I've got to overcome that in order to do the dreams." Mm. And then sometimes you're like, "I actually need to." I sometimes find like, in order to succeed in comedy, certainly in the early days, you need to become obsessional. You need to yeah. let yourself become obsessional. It seems that's not the the that's not in tune with the values of this podcast. But I have felt that obsession. Mm. I've got to drag myself up. I've got to get out of there. I've got to cultivate the the sort of hunger that when a gig comes in and it's miles away you go nope i'm training myself to say yes every time and go and do it when you're yeah i'm just interested in that that battle really that you're like oh now the dreams have come true and it's exhausting 
and the body wants to be lazy, the body wants self-care, let's say the body, the body, the mind, the relationships, they want self-care. How do you decide which instinct to follow? No, no, this is day one. The dreams are coming true. It's day one. I've got to do it. Versus I'm exhausted because in real life it's day 5,000. Yeah, but it's not just also staying in bed longer and like taking the easier thing. There's also the amount of uh, motivation and work required to put into your profession or what you do is also actually, you know, your relationships need work as well. So that same way that you like drive into that gig, you've got to drive to that couples therapy or drive to that to, to be like, I need to do the work because I will otherwise just repeat toxic patterns and behavior patterns that I, I don't have time to work on. Yeah. Um, and I will it will cost me my relationships and especially as someone who works in a constellation with other people and gets my energy from other people and really like I'm really starting to learn the more public facing stuff I do the more I'm valuing like the close relationships around me like that close six seven who are they what are they feeding me what am I feeding them is it balanced am I giving them as much as they're giving me and, and it's really hard man it's, re it's really hard to balance it all um, because sometimes I feel really hopeless about it and I'm like, oh my God, have I worked this hard only to realise I got there, I got on that fucking Graham Norton show and I realised I just want to go home and um, eat a pizza with my boyfriend and that yeah. that fills me with dread. It's so, well, the, the dread is about the idea that you might have put all the work in to achieve the thing. It's like someone who becomes a CEO and go, now I have a billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, but now I decide that I never really wanted that. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to be with my friends. Yeah. And it, but it's impossible, or is it possible, to, to just cut to the dog and the friends because you'll never know what it was like to get the billion dollars. That's it. I never want to be that. You never can never want to be that drama teacher. It's like, oh, I could have been a star. You know, yeah. I, I'd rather be the one that was like, I became a star and it's not real. <laughs> you have to be that one because then at least you know. I, that, drives me, that drives me bananas. And then you meet people who, who are somehow juggling it all. Um, I think Simon is a good example. He's someone who's really, you know, valued relationships and done work on himself as well as had a career. And that has involved every now and again, not going for that obvious big commercial thing because it would just cost too much. Um, who else? I think Riz, is, Riz Ahmed is doing a really good job of it. And, you know, I don't know. I can't think of it. But there are people you meet every now and again or you, you work with and you're like, smashed it, you smashed it. Um, and you just want them to adopt you, you know, you just want, and sometimes I get obsessive when I meet people who are like successful and actually nice and good and care about people. I'm just like, tell me, tell me everything. Give me the book, give me the rule book. And yeah, you just got to work it out, innit? What's the dream project? Last, last, last but one question, penultimate question. Where, where are you? What's the dream project you'd be doing 20 years from now? Uh, I want to play wizard. Yeah, this is what I want. Yeah, yeah. Fact, like big dreams. Go, go oh, for it. yeah, I want to play a wizard and have magical powers and have a really big cape and be walking through a castle. Nice. I know that's not a story. Movie? Movie? Yeah. Original or adapted IP from comic book or um, novel? I don't know, but I'd love to not write it, actually. My back really hurts. I do too many hours of writing. I would love to just turn up and do it just, you know... Play a character like Wonka, do you know what I mean? Like really yeah. like go to town and all the shit that they wouldn't let me be in for all those years. I've got to show them, <laughs> you know. Are you happy? Uh, currently I am, because I've just spent two hours talking about myself. I actually really love it. Uh, generally, I'm getting there.
Yeah. It's not a fixed date though, isn't it? That's the that's the problem. Uh, yeah, man, I'm doing all right actually. I'm yeah, I did all right despite everything. <laughs> yeah. So that was Moan Rizwan. Like I said, in his orbit, he's just a sort of sparkling space gem. And I tell you what, it's worth following his Instagram at Moan R. Even like not even from a comedy perspective, just because what he wears. My God, my son, the Boutros, uh, is he basically channels Moan's dress sense and it's a joy to behold. You can watch all the episodes of Juice on the iPlayer. I really and another another I think um Future Girl's been joining in this as well. But Boutros and Future Girl have both been doing I've Got a New Walk, which you might be familiar as one of Moan's early viral hits. Uh, it definitely is seeded throughout Juice as well. So have a little check on that and then see if you can get your own children. All you need to do is sing I've Got a New Walk, Got a New Walk several times and then they do a new walk. It's brilliant. Um, you can catch up with Moan at those places. See him on uh, See Juice on the iPlayer. For my own part, uh, Spoilers is going to be at the Leicester Comedy Festival. This is my climate crisis uh, comedy show, which is award-winning. Thank you so very much. Makes a triumphant return to Leicester Comedy Festival on the 22nd of February at 7pm. Uh, and also I will be taking Spoilers back to the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival on the 4th of May in quite possibly quite a large room. So... Do, do jump into the links there, the relevant links, and uh, find tickets for that. Now, I'm just going to remind you, I've told you all about the Patreon. I'm just going to remind you the simple steps. It is from £3 a month uh, on patreon.com slash comcompod. You can also go via comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. You get full video episode. Extra content is now in video as well as audio, including over 20 more minutes of Moan. Streamlined account management, exclusive guest announcements, new membership offerings, including funnily titled Stu and A. That's a monthly Zoom Q&A. And of course, you get the full back catalogue of extras. So cancel your current Insiders membership, if you please, uh, via Orsound, uh, orsound.com slash A slash Insiders hyphen club. I mean, all of this will be in the show notes, but, you know, if you've got an Orsound thing, go to it and cancel it. And then, and, and also cancel your, now this is a thing I never thought I'd say, cancel your original PayPal payments. <laughs> Set up your new membership from £3 a month at patreon.com slash comcompod and you get your new unique RSS feed link which you paste into your podcast app you have until Tuesday the 30th of April but why don't you make me proud and jump on and do it now. The original Insiders RSS feed is going to stop updating from Tuesday the 30th of April. That's almost all I need to say. I won't have time for a proper post-amble, but thank you, Mawan, for coming on the show. Thanks, producer Callum. And thank you as well as I make this announcement. Thank you so much to Mark Moriarty at Orsound, who was uh, working on the back end of the, the Insiders Club for so, so long. I'm really appreciative of his hard work. Uh, and also to producer Nathan, who was with us for so long through so many episodes, very nearly 10 years. And then <laughs> I cruelly ended the relationship just before we hit the 10 year mark. But I'm enormously grateful to both of them uh, for all of their hard work uh, and very excited to be sort of setting forth in this bold new direction with a whole new thing and loads more fun stuff to be announced. So that is all of that. Thank you once again. Um, Susie Lewis did the logs. The music was by Rob Smouten. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. Thanks for listening. If if you're still listening to this bit, and it's not even a proper post amble, but if you are still listening to this bit, um, you could uh, tweet at me. What would be a fun tweet? No, let's not overuse it. Don't tweet at me. <laughs> we'll do another one another time. But for now, just shut your face. Unless you've got a direct question, in which case, get in touch. If you're an insider and you're in the Patreon, just pop a little comment under the episode in there. We can have an actual chat. Toodaloo. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 